What is fraudulent misrepresentation? Well, fraudulent misrepresentation is the same as fraud. But what I'm going to talk about today is fraud in the historical sense, which is in the common law in all states. It also is recognized in statute. Now, I said a lot there. Let me unpack the different pieces of that. First, before we even had statutes in the United States passed by Congress or the legislature, the courts in the United States adopted the concepts of common law. Common law is a carryover from England, and it simply said, if a decision was made by a judge in a prior court, we will follow that decision here. And that particular decision becomes part of the common law. It's the law that's common to everybody, and it's kind of based on logic, reasoning, common sense, that sort of thing. So in the United States, we have common law fraud. But then legislatures in the various states and Congress passed laws. Those laws became statutes. And so we have statutes that prohibit fraud as well. We have statutes that prohibit fraud related to wages, related to attorneys, related to all sorts of different scenarios. And so you have statutory fraud. That's all these laws passed by a legislative body and enacted into law. And then you have still the common law fraud, which was in place prior to statutes. So when you sue for fraud or fraudulent misrepresentation, as it's sometimes called, you often consider, do I sue for common law fraud, statutory fraud, or both? And usually it's both. By the way, it's also usually negligent misrepresentation. So let's compare fraudulent misrepresentation to negligent misrepresentation. Fraudulent misrepresentation is where there is intent to deceive or a reckless disregard of the truth in the deception. Whereas negligent misrepresentation is where you, a reasonable person should have known the answer, but you weren't reckless you just were negligent. So whether there is intent or not is an important part of fraud. Let's talk about fraudulent misrepresentation and the specific elements to prove that. And we'll just set aside negligent representation for another day because today it's about fraud. What are the elements? Well, first there has to be a representation by a party. So let's say that's you, regarding a past fact, not an opinion, which is material and susceptible of knowledge. So if I say, for example, next Wednesday, it will rain. Well, that's clearly a factual statement. But it's not a past fact, it's a future fact. And so it's understood in the law and should be understood by the person you're talking to that you can't necessarily with certainty know if it's going to rain, 
So if it doesn't actually rain, that's not considered fraud. It has to be a past fact or a present fact. If you say, for example, I will be in England next Monday. Well, you might have plans to go to England, but because it is a future event, it is generally not considered fraud because you might be agreeing to go there, so there might be a breach of contract, but because it's a future event, it's not necessarily fraud. Now, if you knew for a fact that you had no plans to go to England and you said, I will be in England next Friday or next Monday, that's fraud. Because with intent and knowledge, you made a statement, even though it's about the future, you made a statement that you knew was false in order to deceive the other person. So it has to be a false statement. By the way, and it has to be a fact. If I say to somebody, you are an idiot, and the other person says, well, I'm not an idiot. And so that was fraud. The defense to that is, well, no, it wasn't a statement of fact. It was a statement of opinion. Let's put it this way. If someone said, Dave is a child molester, that's a statement of fact. So that would be usually considered fraud, assuming Dave is not a child molester. Likewise, it would be defamation. By the way, you can have a lot of different claims for the same event. So you might have fraudulent misrepresentation, negligent misrepresentation, statutory fraud, defamation, etc. But if you said Dave is a clown, he's a goof off, well, if you are intending to essentially say that a person is careless in their conduct and always cracking jokes, even if that person isn't, that's probably more of an opinion statement rather than a fact. Interesting story. Elon Musk tweeted that a guy w was a pedo, and pedo was short for pedophile. And the guy sued and lost. Now, the general rule is that if you accuse somebody of being a pedophile, that's a factual statement and that's defamation. But in this case, the court determined that it was understood this was just a derogatory name for somebody and not a statement of fact about them. Nobody really thought that that person was a pedophile. It was just more treated as an opinion. We're getting into defamation law, but th this is a relevant analysis for fraud as well. All right, next, the representation has to be material. So let's say Dave says, last week I saw a ladybug on a leaf. A and let's say you then, in reliance on that, go out on a hike to see if there's a ladybug out there. I'm picking a ridiculous scenario, but actually this is probably a better example of causation. You should know that the ladybug there a week ago probably isn't still there today. So you'd have a hard time establishing that I went on this hike and wasted my time because I was hoping to see a ladybug there. But it also is probably relevant to being material. In other words, fraud must be material. It must be significant. It can't just be light and frivolous. And it has to directly relate to the injury or the harm that has been suffered to, by somebody.
Also, there has to be some degree of knowing reliance. For example, if I tell you, oh yeah, I'm so looking forward to going to Minnehaha Falls Bandstand to see a band, my favorite band, who's going to be playing there on Wednesday. If I'm just telling you because I'm excited about it, and I didn't know you were going to rely on that, and you were going to cancel plans somewhere else in order to also go to that event, you can't sue me for the fact that you canceled your plans and may have lost money for those plans. Why? Because I didn't know that you were going to rely on my statement to then change your plans. Now, if you said, oh, wow, that's great, I'm going to go cancel my plans, now all of a sudden there at least is knowledge on my part that you are going to alter your behavior based on my statement. Here's a scenario that I've seen come up. You have a company engaging in fraud and trying to bring in customers for a particular service. And to give an air of legitimacy to the fraud, the company will hire an attorney or an accountant to give a letter regarding the legitimacy of the opportunity. They might even hire three attorneys until they finally get one who will say exactly what they want. And they then use this letter from the attorney or accountant to provide to potential victims of the scam. And so the, the question then comes up, is the attorney liable for the fraud? But because the attorney wrote the letter that is now used by the company to perpetuate the fraud. The answer is if the attorney knew that letter written by the attorney would be used by the company to mislead people, then with all other things being equal, that attorney is also going to be liable because the attorney knows the letter is being used to mislead people. So even if the attorney wrote the letter to the company, by writing with knowledge that others will see it and rely on it, the attorney is incurring potential liability. One other factor here is there needs to be actual damages. So let's say, for example, Emily says to Dave, there is an incredible sale down at this store. And if you go down there and go to the store today, you will get 50% off everything. And let's say Emily knows it to be false and Emily is just saying it so Dave will get out of the house. Okay, you have a fraud, you have a false statement, Emily's saying it, knowing that Dave is going to rely on it. She's trying to get him to rely on it. She's inducing him to rely on it. If prior to Dave leaving, Emily says, hey, Dave, you know what? I was joking. Or I found out that the sale no longer is happening. Let's just use for a scenario that it's an actual lie where Emily says, Dave, the sale has been called off. And Emily knows there never was a sale to begin with. So now you have two frauds. One, Emily lied to Dave about the sale. And two, Emily said it was called off when there never was a sale to begin with. Can Emily be liable to Dave for fraud? No. Even though fraud was committed, there were no damages because Dave didn't do anything that harmed him. Now, if he had actually driven down there, you'd have at least some argument for damages. But Emily mitigated the damages by giving Dave new information, even though it was fraudulent, 
that prevented Dave from taking action on it. So this comes up a lot when people initially contact me and they say, the other side committed fraud. I ask them, well, how much money did you lose from it? And they tell me, oh, we didn't lose anything actually because we figured out the fraud, but we still want to sue them. And I explain to them, well, you can only sue for damages. So unless you were actually harmed from the fraud, you can't, you have nothing to sue for. Now, there might be scenarios where you might have a basis to sue under other doctrines, but that's beyond the scope of this video. All right, if you have questions about this, feel free to add them in the section below. But just to kind of recap, here's what fraud is. A false representation by a party of a past or existing material fact that is susceptible of knowledge, where the information is false. It was made while knowing it was false. It was with the intention to induce another person to act. And the other person did, in fact, act in reliance on that. And the other person suffered financial harm from that reliance. That, in broad strokes, is what fraudulent misrepresentation is. If you would like more information about any of these topics today, if you are interested in a business owner in getting educated on common mistakes business owners make and how to avoid them yourself, you can go to aaronhall.com free and sign up to get a number of videos and other resources to help equip you prevent problems in your business. This is for entrepreneurs, startups, business owners, CEOs, generally I'm thinking about companies with under 500 employees, even as few as one or two. Because for you as a business owner or a future business owner, you can either prevent these problems or pay the much more expensive cost of having the problem and having to clean it up afterwards. The purpose of this YouTube channel is to help you avoid problems, grow your company, provide a great value to your customers and clients, create a great environment for the people that you work with and experience the success that comes from having a, a good company built on best practices. I'm Aaron Hall, an attorney for business owners and entrepreneurs. If you have questions about any of this, feel free to put them in the comments section below. Look forward to seeing you next time.